Luke 16, verse 23. And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. Our Lord does show in this verse partly what doth and shall befall to the reprobate after this life is ended, where he saith, And in hell he lift up his eyes. That is, the ungodly after they depart this life do lift up their eyes in hell. From these words may be observed these things. Number one that there is an hell for souls to be tormented in when this life is ended. Mark, after he was dead and buried in hell, he lift up his eyes. Number two, that all that are ungodly and do live and die in their sins, so soon as ever they die, they go into hell. He died and was buried, and in hell he lift up his eyes. Number three, that some are so fast to sleep and secure in their sins that they scarce know well where they are till they come into hell. And that I gather from these words, in hell he lift up his eyes. He was asleep before, but hell makes him lift up his eyes. As I said before, it is evident that there is an hell for souls, yea, and bodies too, to be tormented in after they depart this life, as is clear first, because the Lord Jesus Christ, that cannot lie, did say that after the sinner was dead and buried in hell, he left up his eyes. Now, if it be objected that by hell is here meant the grave, that I plainly deny, number one, because there the body is not sensible of torments or ease, but in that hell into which the spirits of the damned depart, they are sensible of torment, and would very willingly be from it to enjoy ease, which they are sensible of the lack of, as is clearly discovered in this parable, Saint Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of this finger in water to cool my tongue. Number two, it is not meant the grave, but some other place, because the bodies, so long as they lie there, are not capable of lifting up their eyes to see the glorious condition of the children of God, as the souls of the damned do. In hell he lift up his eyes. Number three, it cannot be the grave, for then it must follow that the soul was buried there with the body, which cannot stand with such a dead state as is here mentioned. For he saith, the rich man died, that is, his soul was separated from his body, and in hell he lift up his eyes. If it be again objected that there is no hell but in this life, that I do also deny, as I said before. After he was dead and buried in hell he lift up his eyes and let me tell thee O soul whoever thou art and if thou close not in savingly with the Lord Jesus Christ and lay hold on what he hath done and is doing in his own person for sinners thou wilt find such in hell after this life is ended that thou wilt not get out of it again Again, forever 
and ever. And thou that are wanton and dost but make a mock at the servants of the Lord when they tell thee of the torments of hell, thou wilt find that when thou departest out of this life, that hell, even the hell which is after this life, will meet thee in thy journey thither, and will with its hellish crew give thee such a sad salutation that thou wilt not forget it to all eternity. When that scripture comes to be fulfilled on thy soul in Isaiah 14, 9, hail from beneath is moved for thee to meet thee at thy coming. It stirreth up the dead for thee, even all the chief ones of the earth. It hath raised from their thrones all the kings of the nations. All they, that is, that are in hell, shall say, Art thou become as weak as we? Art thou become like unto us? Oh, sometimes when I have had but thoughts of going to hell, and considered the everlastingness of their ruin that fall in thither, it has stirred me up rather to seek to the Lord Jesus Christ to deliver me from thence than a slide it and make a mock at it. And inhale he lift up his eyes. The second thing I told you was this, that all the ungodly that live and die in their sins, so soon as ever they depart this life, do descend into hell. This is also verified by the words in this parable where Christ saith, He died and was buried, and in hell he lift up his eyes. As the tree falls, so it shall lie, whether it be to heaven or hell. And as Christ said to the thief on the cross, This day shalt thou be with me in paradise. Even so the devil in like manner may say unto the soul, Tomorrow shalt thou be with me in hell. See then what a miserable case he that dies in an unregenerate state is in. He departs from a long sickness to a longer hell, from the gripings of death to the everlasting torments of hell. And in hell he lift up his eyes. Ah, friends, if you were but yourselves, you would have a care of your souls. If you did but regard, you would see how mad they are, the slight, the salvation of their souls. Oh, what will it profit thy soul to have pleasure in this life and torment in hell? Thou hast better part with all thy sins and pleasures and companions, or whatsoever thou delightest in, than to have soul and body cast into hell. Oh, then, do not neglect our Lord Jesus Christ, lest thou drop down to hell. Consider, would it not wound thee to thine heart to come upon thy deathbed, and instead of having the comfort of a well-spent life in the merits of the Lord Jesus Christ, together with the comfort of his glorious spirit, to have first the sight of an ill-spent life, thy sins flying in thy face, thy conscience uttering of itself with thunderclaps against thee, the thoughts of God terrifying of thee, death with his merciless paws seizing upon thee, the devil standing ready to scramble for thy soul in hell enlarging herself and ready to swallow thee up, and an eternity of misery and torment attending upon thee, from which there will be no release. 
for mark. Death does not come alone to an unconverted soul, but with such company as was thou but sensible love, it would make thee tremble. I pray, consider that scripture in Revelation 6, verse 8. And I looked and beheld a pale horse, and his name that sat upon him was death, and hell followed with him. Mark? Death does not come alone to the ungodly, no, but hell goeth with him. O miserable comforters, O miserable society, here come death and hell unto thee. Death goeth into thy body and separates body and soul asunder. Hell stands without, as I may say, to embrace, or rather to crush, thy soul between its everlasting grinders. Then thy mirth, thy joy, thy sinful delights will be ended when this comes to pass. Lo, it will come. Blessed are all those that through Jesus Christ's mercies by faith do escape the soul-murdering companions, and inhale he lift up his eyes. The third thing you know that we did observe from these words was this that some are so fast asleep and secure in their sins that they scarce know where they are until they come into hell. And that I told you I gather by these words, in hell he lift up his eyes. Mark, it was in hell that he lift up his eyes. Now some do understand by these words that he came to himself or begin to consider with himself or to think with himself and what an estate he was and what he is deprived of, which is still a confirmation of the thing laid down by me. There it is that they come to themselves, that is, there they are sensible where they are indeed. Thus it fares with some men that they scarce know where they are till they lift up their eyes in hell. It is with those people as with those that fall down in a swoon. You know, if a man do fall down in a swoon in one room, though you take him up and carry him into another, yet he is not sensible where he is till he cometh unto himself and lifts up his eyes. Truly thus as it is to be feared, it is with many poor souls. They are so senseless, so hard, so seared in their conscience, that they are ignorant of their state, and when death comes it strikes them, as it were, into a swoon, especially if they die suddenly. And so they are hurried away and scarce know where they are, till in hell they lift up their eyes. This is he who dieth in his full strength, fully at ease and quiet. Of this sort are they spoken of in Psalm 37, where he saith, There are no bonds in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not troubled as other folk, neither are they plagued like other men. And again, they spend their days in wealth, and in a moment, mark in a moment, before they are aware, they go down into the grave." Indeed, this is too much known by woeful and daily experience. Sometimes when we go to visit them that are sick in the towns and places where we live, 
how senseless, how seared in their conscience are they. They are neither sensible of heaven nor of hell, of sin nor of a savior. Speak to them of the condition and the state of their souls, and you shall find them as ignorant as if they had no souls to regard. Others, though they lie ready to die, yet they are busying themselves about their outward affairs as though they should certainly live here, even to live and enjoy the same forever. Again, come to others, speak to them about the state of their souls, though they have no more experience of the new birth than a beast, yet they will speak as confidently of their eternal estate and the welfare of their souls, as if they had the most excellent experience of any man or woman in the world, saying, I shall have peace. When, as I said, even now the Lord knows they are as ignorant of the new birth, of the nature and operation of faith, of the witness of the Spirit, as if there were no new birth, no faith, no witness of the Spirit of Christ in any of his saints in the world. Nay, thus many of them are even an hour or less before their departure. Ah, poor souls, though they may go away here like a lamb, as the world says, yet if you could but follow them a little to stand and listen soon after their departure, it is to be feared you shall hear them roar like a lion at their first entrance into hell, far worse than ever did Korah and company when they went down quick into the ground." Now by this one thing doth the devil take great advantage on the hearts of the ignorant, suggesting unto them that because the party deceased departed so quietly, without all doubt they are gone to rest and joy. When, alas, it is to be feared, the reason why they went away so quietly was rather because they were senseless and hardened in their conscience, yea, dead in sins and trespasses. For had they but some awakenings on their deathbeds, as some have had, they would have made all the town ring of their doleful condition. But because they are seared and ignorant, and so depart quietly, therefore the world takes heart of grace, as we used to say, and makes no great matter of living and dying, they cannot tell how. Therefore pride compasseth them as a chain, but let them look to themselves, for if they have not an interest in the Lord Jesus Christ now while they live in this world, they will, whether they die raging or still, go into the same place and lift up their eyes in hell. Oh, my friends, did you but know what a miserable condition they are in that go out of this world without an interest in the Son of God? It would make you smite upon your thigh and in the bitterness of your souls cry out, Men and brethren, what shall we do to be saved? And not only so, but thou wouldest not be comforted until thou didst find a rest for thy soul in the Lord Jesus Christ. And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torment, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. Something in brief I have observed from the first part of this verse, namely from these words, and in hell he lift up his eyes. Indeed I have observed but some things, for they are very full of matter, and many things might be taken notice of in them. There is one thing more that I might touch upon is couched in this saying, and that is this. 
Methinks the Lord Jesus Christ doth hereby signify that men are naturally unwilling to see or take notice of their sad state, I say by nature, but though they are now willingly ignorant, yet in hell they shall lift up their eyes, that is, in hell they shall see and understand their miserable condition, and therefore to these words, in hell he lift up his eyes, he adds, being in torment, as if he had said, though once they shut their eyes, though once they were willingly ignorant, yet when they depart into hell, they shall be so miserably handled and tormented, that they shall be forced to lift up their eyes. While men live in this world and are in a natural state, they will have a good conceit of themselves and of their condition. They will conclude that they are Christians, that Abraham is their father, and their state to be as good as the best. They will conclude they have faith, the spirit, good hope an interest in the Lord Jesus Christ. But when they drop into hell and lift up their eyes there, and behold first, their souls to be in extreme torments, their dwelling to be the bottomless pit, their company thousands of damned souls, also the innumerable company of devils, and the hot scalding vengeance of God, not only to drop, but to fall very violently upon them. Then they will be awakened while their lifetime were in a sleep. I say, when this comes to pass, for lo it will, then in hell they shall lift up their eyes. In the midst of torment they shall lift up their eyes. Again, you may observe in these words, and in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torment, that ungodly men will smart for their sins in the torments of hell. Now here I am put to a stand when I consider the torments of hell into which the damned do fall. Oh, unspeakable torments. Oh, endless torments. Now that thy soul might be made to flee from those intolerable torments into which the damned do go, I shall show you briefly what are the torments of hell. First, by the names of it. Secondly, by the sad state thou wilt be in if thou come here. First, the names. It is called a never-dying worm, Mark 9. It is called an oven, fire hot, Malachi 4.1. It is called a furnace, a fiery furnace, Matthew 13. It is called the bottomless pit, the unquenchable fire, fire and brimstone, hell fire, the lake of fire, devouring fire, everlasting fire, eternal fire, a stream of of fire. Revelations 21. Number 1. One part of thy torments will be this. Thou shalt have a full sight of all thy ill-spent life from first to last. Though here thou canst sin today and forget it by tomorrow, yet there thou shalt be made to remember how thou didst sin against God at such a time and in such a place, for such a thing and with such an one, which will be a hell unto thee. Psalm 50, verse 21. God will set them in order before thine eyes. Number two, thou shalt have the guilt of them all lie heavy on thy soul, not only the guilt of one or two, but the guilt of them all together, and there they shall lie in thy soul as if thy belly were full of pitch and set on a light fire. Here men can sometimes think on their sins with delight, but there with unspeakable torment. 
for that I understand to be the fire that Christ speaketh of, which shall never be quenched. While men live here, oh, how doth the guilt of one's sin sometimes crush the soul? It makes a man in such a plight that he is weary of his life, so that he can neither rest at home nor abroad, neither up nor in bed. Nay, I do know that they have been so tormented with the guilt of one sinful thought, that they have been even at their wits' ends, and have hanged themselves. But now when thou comest into hell, and hast not only one, or two, or an hundred sins, with the guilt of them all on thy soul and body, but all the sins that ever thou didst commit since thou camest into the world altogether clapped on thy conscience at one time, as one should clap a red-hot iron to thy breast, and there to continue to all eternity, this is miserable. Number three, again, then thou shalt have brought into thy remembrance the slighting of the gospel of Christ. Here thou shalt consider how willing Christ was to come into the world to save sinners, and for what a trifle thou didst reject him. This is plainly held forth in Isaiah 28, where speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, the foundation of salvation, verse 16, he saith of them that reject the gospel, that when the overflowing scripture doth pass through the earth, which I understand to be at the end of the world, then saith he, it shall take you morning by morning, by day and by night shall it pass over you, that is, continually, without any intermission, and it shall be a vexation only to hear the report of vexation, that is, a torment, or a great part of hell, only to understand the report, to understand the good Tidings that came into the world by Christ's death for poor sinners. And you will find this verily to be the mind of the Spirit, if you compare it with Isaiah 53, verse 1, where he speaks of men's turning their backs upon the tenders of God's grace in the gospel. He saith, Who hath believed our report, or the gospel declared by us? Now this will be a mighty torment to the ungodly when they shall understand the goodness of God. It was so great that he even sent his son out of his bosom to die for sinners, and yet that they should be so foolish as to put him off from one time to another, that they should be so foolish as to lose heaven and Christ and eternal life and glory for the society of a company of drunkards, that they should lose their souls for a little sport, for this world, for a strumpet, for that which is lighter than vanity and nothing. I say this will be a very great torment unto thee. Number four. Another part of thy torment will be this. Thou shalt see thy friends, thy acquaintance, thy neighbors, nay, it may be, thy father, thy mother, thy wife, thy husband, thy children, thy brother, thy sister, with others in the kingdom of heaven, and thyself thrust out. Luke 13:28. There shall be weeping, and so on, when you shall see Abraham, your father, and 
Isaac and Jacob, together with your brethren, the prophets, in the kingdom of heaven, and you yourselves thrust out. Nay, saith he, they shall come from the east and from the west, that is, those that thou didst never see in all thy life before, and they shall sit down with thy friends and thy neighbors, thy wife and children, in the kingdom of heaven, and thou for thy sins and disobedience shall be shut, nay, thrust out, O terrible torment. Number five. Again, thou shalt have none but a company of damned souls with an innumerable company of devils to keep company with thee. While thou art in this world, the very thought of the devil appearing to thee makes thy flesh to tremble and thine hair ready to stand upright on thy head. But, oh, what wilt thou do when not only the supposition of the devil's appearing, but the real society of all devils of hell will be with thee, howling and roaring and screeching and roaring in such a hideous manner that thou will be even at thy wit's end, and be ready to run stark mad for anguish and torments. Number six, again, that thou mightest be tormented to purpose the mighty God of heaven will lay his great wrath and vengeance upon thee, as ever he can, by the might of his glorious power. As I said before, thou shalt have his wrath not by drops, but by whole showers shall it come, thunder upon thy body and soul so fast and so thick, that thou shalt be tormented out of measure. And so saith the scripture, Second Thessalonians 3 verse 9, speaking of the wicked, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power, when the saints shall be admiring his goodness and glory. Again, this thou shalt have, as I said before, without any intermission. Thou shalt not have any ease so long as while a man may turn himself round. Thou shalt have it always, every hour, day and night. For the worm never dies, but always gnaws, and the fire is never quenched. Again in this condition thou must be forever, and this is as sad as all the rest. For if a man were to have all his sins laid to his charge in communion with the devils, and as much wrath as the great God of heaven can inflict upon him, I say, if it were but for a time, even ten thousand years and so end, there would be ground of comfort and hope of deliverance. But here is thy misery. This is thy state forever. Here thou must be forever. When thou lookest about thee and see what an innumerable company of howling devils thou art amongst. Thou shalt think this again. This is my portion forever. When thou hast been in hell so many thousand years as there are stars in the firmament or drops in the sea or sands on the seashore, yet thou hast to lie there forever. Oh, this one word ever. How will it torment thy soul? Friends, I have only given a very short touch of the torments of hell. Oh, I am set, I am set. I am not able to utter what my mind conceives of the torments of hell. Yet this let me say to thee. Except of God's mercy, through our Lord Jesus Christ, lest thou feel that with thy conscience, which I cannot express with my tongue, and say, I am sorely tormented in this flame. 
Luke 16, verse 24. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy upon me, and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water, and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. You know I told you that verse 22 is a discovery of the departure of the godly and the ungodly out of this life, where he saith, The beggar died, and the rich man also died. The twenty-third verse is a discovery of the proper places both of the godly and ungodly after death, one being in Abraham's bosom in glory, the other in hell. Now verse twenty-four is a discovery of part of the too late repentance of the ungodly when they are dropped down into hell, and he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. From the words, and he cried, we may observe first what a change the ungodly will have when they come into hell. He cried. It is like he was laughing, jesting, jeering, drinking, mocking, swearing, cursing, pratting, persecuting of the godly in his prosperity among his filthy companions. But now the case is otherwise. Now he is in another frame. Now his proud out courage carriages come down, and he cried. The laughter of the ungodly will not always last, but will be sure to end in a cry. The triumphing of the wicked is short. Consider, you must have a change either here or in hell. If you be not new creatures, regenerate persons, newborn babes in this world, before you go hence, your no will be changed, your condition will be changed, for if you come into hell you must cry. Oh, did but the singing drunkards, when they are making merry on the alehouse bench, think on this, it would make them change their note and cry, What shall I do? Whither shall I go when I die? But as I said before, the devil, as he labors to get poor souls to follow their sins, so he labors also to keep the thoughts of eternal damnation out of their minds. And indeed, these two things are so nearly linked together that the devil cannot well get the soul to go on in sin with delight, unless he can keep the thoughts of that terrible afterclap out of their minds. But let them know that it shall not always be thus with them, for if when they depart they drop down into eternal destruction, they shall have such a sense of their sins and the punishment due to them that it shall make them cry. And he cried. Oh, what an alteration will there be among the ungodly when they go out of this world. It may be a fortnight or a month before their departure. They were light, stout, surly, drink themselves drunk, sliding God's people, mocking at goodness and delighting in sin, following the world, seeking after riches, faring deliciously, keeping company with the bravest. But now they are dropped down into hell. They cry. A little while ago they were painting their faces, feeding their lusts, following their whores, robbing their neighbors, telling of lies, following of plays and sports to pass away the time 
flame. But now they are in hell. They do cry. It may be last year they heard some good sermons, were invited to receive heaven, were told that their sins should be pardoned if they closed in with Jesus, but refusing his proffers and slighting the grace that was once tendered, they are now in hell and they cry. Before they had so much time they thought they could not tell how to spend it unless it were in hunting and whoring and dancing and playing and spending whole hours, yea, days, nay, weeks, in the lusts of the flesh. But when they depart into another place and begin to lift up their eyes in hell and consider their miserable and irrecoverable condition, they will cry, Oh, what a condition wilt thou fall into when thou dost depart this world? If thou depart unconverted and not born again, thou hast better have been smothered the first hour thou wast born. Thou hast better have been plucked one limb from another. Thou hast better have been made a dog, a toad, a serpent, nay, any other creature in the visible world, than to die unconverted. And this thou wilt find to be true, and in hell thou dost lift up thine eyes and dost cry cry to think that when the judgment is over and others are taken into the everlasting kingdom of glory then they must depart back again into that dungeon of darkness from whence they came out to appear before the terrible tribunal where they shall be tormented so long as eternity lasts without the least intermission or ease how sayest thou thou wanton proud swearing lying ungodly wretch whether this be to be slighted and made a mock at and again, tell me now if it not be better to leave sin and to close in with Christ Jesus, notwithstanding that reproach thou shalt meet with for so doing, than to live a little while in this world, in pleasures and feeding thy lusts, and neglecting the welfare of thy soul, and refusing to be justified by Jesus, and in a moment to drop down to hell and to cry, Oh, consider, I say, consider the times and put not off the two of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, lest you lift up your eyes in hell and cry for anguish of spirit. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy upon me, and send Lazarus, and so on. These words do not only hold forth the lamentable condition of the damned and their lamentable howling and crying out under their anguish of spirit, but also they do signify to us, as I said before, their too late repentance, and also that they would very willingly, if they might, be set at liberty from the everlasting misery that by their sins they have plunged themselves into. I say, these words do hold a desire that the damned have to be delivered from those torments that they now are in. O oh, Father Abraham, saith he, have mercy upon me, and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. These words of Father Abraham may have some difficulty in them. It is possible that some may think them to be meant of Abraham and those or him that crieth out here to be the Jews. Or it may be some may understand it to be God or Jesus Christ his Son, which I rather suppose it may be that is here cried unto, because you find the same cry to him as it was uttered by the ungodly in other places of Scripture. Then shall they say, Lord, Lord, we have eaten 
eat and drink in thy presence, and thou hast taught in our streets. Nay more, in thy name have we cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. This was just at their rejection. And again they cry again to him, even to Jesus, Lord, Lord, open to us. And he there again gives them a repulse, as also in this parable. But however or whosoever Abraham is, yet these truths may be observed from these words. Number one, that the damned when in an irrecoverable state will seek for or desire deliverance from the wrath that they are and shall be in for eternity. Surely in the floods of great waters they shall not come nigh unto him. Number two, that they will pray, if I may so call it, earnestly for deliverance from their miserable estate. These two things are clear from the words, for Mark, he not only said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, but he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. From whence, take a third observation, and that is, there is a time coming wherein, though men shall both cry and pray, yet they are like to have no mercy at the hand of God. For so was this man served, as I shall further show by and by when I come to it. Some people are so deluded by the devil as to think that God is so merciful as to own and regard anything for prayer. They think anything will go for current and good satisfaction while they are here in this world, through ignorance of the true nature of the mercy of God and the knowledge of what way God is satisfied for sinners. Now I say, through ignorance, they think that if they do but mutter over some form of prayers, though they know not what they say nor what they request, yet God is satisfied, yea, very well satisfied with their doings, when alas, there is nothing less. Oh, friends, I beseech you to look about you, and seek in good earnest for the Spirit of Christ, so to help you now to strive and pray, and to enable you to lay hold on Christ, that your souls may be saved, lest the time come that though you cry and pray, and wish also that you had laid hold on the Lord Jesus, yet you must and shall be damned. Then again you may see, that though God be willing to save sinners at some time, yet this time doth not always last. No, he that can find in his heart to turn his back upon Jesus Christ now shall have the back turned upon him hereafter when he may cry and pray for mercy and yet go without it. God will have a time to meet with them that now do not seek after him. They shall have a time, yea, time enough hereafter, to repent their folly and to befool themselves for turning their backs upon the Lord Jesus Christ. I will laugh at their calamities, saith he, and mock when their fear cometh. Again, this should admonish us to take time while it is proffered, lest we repent us of our unbelief and rebellion when we are deprived of it. Ah, oh, friends, time is precious, and ours time to hear a sermon is precious. I have sometimes thought thus with myself. Set the case, the Lord should send two or three of his servants, the ministers of the gospel, to hell among the damned, with the commission, Go ye to hell, and preach my grace to those that are there. Let your sermon be an hour long, and hold forth the merits of my son's birth, righteousness, death, resurrection, ascension, and intercession, with all my love in him, and proffer it to them, telling them that now, once do I proffer the means of reconciliation to them. 
They who are now roaring, being past hope, would then leap at the proffer of mercy. Oh, they that could spend whole days, weeks, nay, years in rejecting the Son of God, would now be glad of one tender of that mercy. Father, saith he, have mercy on me. Again from these words you may observe that mercy would be welcome when souls are under judgment. Now this soul is in the fire, now he is under the wrath of God, now he is in hell, there to be tormented, now he is with the devils and damned spirits, now he feels the vengeance of God, now, oh, now have mercy upon me. Here you may see that mercy is prized by them that are in hell, they would be glad if they could have it. Father, have mercy on me, for my poor soul's sake send me a little mercy." and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water to cool my tongue. These words do not only hold forth that the ungodly have a desire of mercy, but what those mercies are that these poor creatures would be glad of. As, number one, to have the company of a Lazarus granted to them, Father Abraham, have mercy upon me and send Lazarus. Now Lazarus was he that was beloved of God, and also he that was hated of them. Therefore, number two, observe, that those saints that the world in their lifetime could not endure, now they are departed, they would be glad to have society with them. O oh, now sin Lazarus! Though the time was when I cared not for him, yet now let me have some society with him. Though the world disregard the society of God's children now, yet there is a time coming in which they would be glad to have the least company with them. Nay, do but observe, those of the saints that are now most rejected by them, even from them shall they be glad of comfort, if it might be. Sin Lazarus, he that I slighted more than my dogs, he that I could not endure should come into my house, but must lie at my gate. Send him. Now Lazarus shall be welcome to me. Now I desire some comfort from him, but he shall go without it. From whence again observe that there is a time coming, O ye surly, dogged persecutors of the saints, that they shall slight you as much as ever you slighted them. You have given them many an hard word, told many a lie of them, given them many a blow, and now, in your greatest need and extremity, they shall not pity you. The righteous shall rather rejoice when he seeth the vengeance of God upon thee. And send Lazarus, from whence observe that any of the saints shall then be owned by you to be saints. Now you look upon them to be the sect with Hymenaeus and Philetus, but then you shall see them to be the Lazaruses of God, even of God's dear children. Though now the saints of the Lord will not be owned by you, because they are beggarly, low, poor, contemptible among you, yet the day is coming that you shall own them, desire their company, and wish for the least courtesy from them. Sin Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. Thus shall the souls that abide in their sins cry out in the bitterness of their spirits with wonderful anguish and torment of conscience without intermission. 
that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, that he, namely, the man whom I before scorned, should eat with the dogs of my flock, that before I slighted and had no regard of, that I shut out of door, send him, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. Now these words, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water, and so on, to hold forth the least friendship or favor, as if he should have said, Now I would be glad of the least mercy, now I would be glad of the least comfort, though it be but one drop of cold water on the tip of his finger. One would have thought that this had been a small request, a small courtesy, one drop of water. What is that? Take a pailful of it, if that will do thee any good. But mark, he is not permitted to have so much as one drop, not so much as a man may hold on the tip of his finger. This signifies that they that fall short of Christ shall be tormented even as long as eternity lasteth, and shall not have so much as the least ease, no, not so long as while a man may turn turn himself round, not so much leave as to swallow his spittle, not one drop of cold water. Oh, that these things did take place in your hearts, how would it make you to seek after rest for your souls before it be too late, before the sun of the gospel be set upon you? Consider, I say, the misery of the ungodly that they shall be in, and avoid their vices by closing in with the tenders of mercy, lest you partake of the same portion with them, and cry out in the bitterness of your souls, One drop of water to cool my tongue. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. 
It is indeed a horrible thing for the papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important. When he says that God had commanded no such thing, and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.